0: Good morning everyone. Good morning. It's great to see you um, for those that don't know me, my name is Rob and I'm one of the leaders here at Well of Life and uh, to the guys online, welcome as well. It's great to have you with us. Um, I've been away for a couple of weeks. Linda and I were away together last week and um, be- before that I was in South Africa. I've been meeting with a group of um, pastors that are wanting to partner together um, and so we had a Chris had come through and ministered here. I went on with him and Merrill to South Africa. Um, and then we met up with another guy that we partnered with called Nick and then a few of these churches that are wanting to partner with us. So we had an amazing time, two days with the lead elder couples and then two days with the churches. And then I ministered in the church on the Sunday. I do have to say that preaching once on a Sunday is pretty cool. <laughs> it's quite nice. Preach and then you're done for the day. But, um, and then last weekend, I, I came back and... Um, Went up to Russell Kamer, to our church plant there, Wall of Life Rack, with uh, Linda, Eugene went with us, and so did Pascal and Svetlana as well. And uh, it was great to be with them. The church is growing. Bertus and Liesel are doing a great job. They've been leading there for three years now. Uh, the church currently meets in the Seventh-day Adventist Hall, which is this massive hall that they get to use. They don't use it on a Friday, which works out perfectly. So we're glad for their bit of dodgy theology that makes them meet on a Saturday so that we can have the hall on the Friday, and then um, went through, uh, more than dodgy, I want to say, they went through on the, uh, after that, to meet with a group of um, couples that they training up to be leaders in the church, spent the afternoon with them, and then fought our way back through the everlasting Sharjah traffic, which never seems to die, it's like, um, it's like the worm in hell, that just it eats away and keeps up forever what is with that place, and, um, and finally, uh, we're back with you guys here today, which is really amazing, and I'm excited because I get to preach to you today about your death, and uh, I, can I have a hallelujah? You're impending and approaching death. Um, actually, I'm going to be carrying on the series, I am preaching about death, but I'm carrying on the series through the book of Acts, and I'm be in Acts chapter 9, which is this amazing passage about Saul meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, um, uh, giving his life to Christ, coming and receiving the free gift of salvation that Christ offers that Dylan spoke about. Um, He's blinded, I think, symbolically to show actually what his state was before he comes to Christ. And then when Ananias lays hands on him, his sight is restored. It's like his eyes are opened for the first time. He was dead in the grave, and when his eyes are open, he's come to life again. And Paul has such a radical conversion that he goes from being this preacher, this killer, um, this, uh, sorry, this persecutor and killer to a preacher of the gospel. And he's so um, passionate and so um, astute in his preaching that he actually ends up raising all sorts of enemies against him. And we're going to read this passage of Scripture now, and you're going to see that in two occasions Paul's life is threatened. They don't just say, like, I'm going to kill you. They literally put plans in place to kill him, and uh, I, want, I actually met with the elders about this on Monday before we, I actually decided, made the decision to preach on it, because you know guys, we want to take the Word of God really seriously, and that means not just the content of what we preach to you on a Friday, but how we get to the place where we preach that content, and the Word of God, the way that you go to the Word of God is that you let the Word speak to you, you don't tell the Word what it's going to say, and I have to be honest, if I was going through this passage of Scripture, um, death is not the subject that would leap out from me as I was unpacking the Scripture. So there are references there, and there are references in the passages around us, but it's not like, if you were to come to me and say, this passage of Scripture, this is what it's about, it's about death, I would say, yeah, not so much. Um, but sometimes God takes a passage and wants to speak through it prophetically, and gives a certain license, and so we still must hold to the boundaries that Scripture has in place around the subject matter. But I just want you to know that we've spoken this through, we prayed it through as an eldership, and we did feel like God was speaking this today. I want you to take this away from you today, that you are dead already, and that your death, and I mean your, your physical death, when we go from this life, is actually a promotion to glory. And we are not to live in fear to death. We're not to shape our, our lives around the thing of like, how do I keep myself from dying and, and build in such a way that this life becomes your preeminent preoccupation. And uh, so it might sound like it's not all that exhilarating and you would like me to preach on God's blessings, but this is where we're going today. Stick with me. Don't fall asleep. I was talking to Hannah this week and she was saying, she's visiting churches and she said, she was sitting in church because they stay up quite late on a Saturday night to socialize and they go to church the next morning. And she said a friend was, fell asleep while the guy was preaching. And she said to herself, I wouldn't fall asleep when my dad is preaching, so I'm not going to do that to this guy here. So be like Hannah and don't fall asleep while I preach, okay? Acts chapter 9, verse 23 to 30. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. They made plans. They were scheming to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering lowering him in a basket. When When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out. Amongst them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. Not a very popular man, this. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. In June 2002, which is nearly 20 years ago, in our church in Durban, one evening we had a prayer meeting and a young lady came and joined us in that prayer meeting. She had come with a friend who was a member of our church. Later that evening, I received a phone call that she'd been shot in the head. She was being picked up by her father. She was in that friend's driveway, and somebody had shot, just fired a random shot from the street that had gone through the window and hit her in the head. I went to the hospital that night to go pray for a miracle and um, uh, for God to spare her life, but she died that evening. It turned out it was a gang initiation. It was just a completely random killing. A couple of weeks ago, when I was in South Africa, meeting with those pastors, there was a I heard from one of the guys there that a South African pastor who 20 years ago had planted into the Ukraine, and he would come back each winter in South Africa with his family to um, to spend some time in South Africa, had arrived, uh, caught COVID, and a few days later had died from the from COVID. And then on the weekend, my father-in-law John McDowell, Linda's dad, sent a message to say that a friend of his, who Linda and I know well, a guy by the name of Alan Walker, had passed away. Now, he had done the the speech at our wedding, and John sent a message to me on the Monday and said this. He said, "Uh, there were five men who were close to me at our church in the old days. Now I am am the only one who is still around. It's a funny old world. Last Friday, as you were worshiping or sitting while the word was being preached, while we were preaching on that side, Eugene, who was with us, received a message that a friend of his who's in another church in Dubai, 40-year-old man, had had a heart attack and died. See, death is all around us. It's an inevitable part of the life that we live in. Paul writes, and I understand the context is slightly different in Romans, and he quotes from from the psalm and says this, for your sake we face death all day long. And he's obviously speaking about preaching the gospel. There's some sense to which we do face death all day long. It's around us all the time. In this passage that I read now and what precedes it and what follows it, there's death in every single one of those passages of Scripture. And maybe Paul had that in mind. He'd been saved for only a few months, and he had faced two death sentences. He had been the one that stood holding the coats as Stephen was stoned to death. A man's life was taken from him. In the chapters that follow, Dorcas suddenly dies, and uh, um, Noel's going to preach on that in a few weeks. James is killed by Herod for political gain, and then Herod dies suddenly under God's judgment. In 2017, 57 million people died that year. And the numbers continue through the years. 57.6 the year after, 58 million. And last year, 59 million people died. 59 million people. That's the population of the UAE dying five times over. That's every single person that you know in this country, every single person you work with, every stranger that walks in the streets, every, every crowd that gathers around, all that traffic that flows between Dubai and Sharjah and Abu Dhabi and all over the place, every single one of those people dying five times over every single year. Death is all around us. George Ladd, in his book, The Gospel of the Kingdom, makes this point, and he says this, everywhere one goes, He finds the gaping graves swallowing up the dying. Tears of loss, of separation, of of final departure stain every face. Every table, sooner or later, has an empty chair. Every fireside is vacant place. Death is the great leveler. Wealth or poverty, fame or oblivion, power or futility, success or failure, race, creed or culture... All our human distinctions mean nothing before the ultimate irresistible sweep of the scythe of death which cuts us all down. And whether the mausoleum is a famous Taj Mahal, a massive pyramid, an unmarked spot of ragged grass, or the unplotted depths of the sea, one fact remains, death reigns. And death is, it is such a normal part of life on this fallen planet but that doesn't mean that it isn't something that is profoundly difficult to face. Every one of those stories that I mentioned, every person that died in those stories is a story also of an extraordinary amount of grief. In fact, I think one of the, the great tragedies of the pandemic that we've gone through is how it has impacted our ability to grieve and has damaged our understanding of the relationship between life and death and, and the way that death plays out within our communities and maybe accentuated here in Dubai for us where we are separated from um, our families that are getting older than they're normally not living with us here. I can remember some years ago, David, um, who we partner with in um, Sri Lanka, who's a really good friend of mine, lost his son Frank in a motorbike accident. And he phoned me and he said, would you come over and be part of this? And and, and of course, we, we jumped on the next plane to go be with him. And there were others that came from around the world. That we drove up to New Relia, where we were staying, and up to his small home that he had in that um, that uh, mountain town. And as we came into the home, um, Frank had been laid out, um, his body prepared and laid out on the table um, for everybody to gather around. And culturally, some of those things are difficult. Perhaps I don't know what what it, how you deal with things in your culture when it comes to death is different to what. It would be like in my culture. But there is something about the community gathering around and not shying away from the fact that Frank had died. And mourning and celebrating his life and worshipping and praying together and encouraging and holding and strengthening. And we went from there. We took his body yeah, and put it into the grave and stood around that and prayed. And, and uh, the, the, the community processed the death. Uh, together with that family and with that community of Frank. It's so different to what happened to us through this time of the pandemic. Linda lost her mom um, uh, last year in June. She died of cancer after a struggle for um, a few months with cancer. The thing was, her her mom was sent home to die. And I know Linda's not the only one that went through this. I mean, Saj lost his brother during COVID. I mentioned earlier on that Sonny lost his, um, his dad and I know others of you have lost family members during this time as well and couldn't be there in those moments and the Flo had gone home and um, like normally what we would have done at that moment is Linda get in a plane and go see your mom go to go to her deathbed go have the conversations go say goodbye go hold her hand God in his kindness had it that Flo was home and John was, uh, Linda's dad was with her at the moment her life passed into the next life. But we watched the funeral on Facebook in our lounge here. Linda didn't get to say goodbye. The children didn't get to say goodbye. And, um, and it's, it's like it was abnormal. It's not right, you see, because deathbeds and funerals are sacred places. They're places we go to as communities to say farewell, to process what it means, not in a negative way, because it is terrible when somebody goes, obviously, but there is something else bigger even than that that is taking place that we're supposed to process. And I think this kind of stunting that took place over this time is, is part of what accelerated a problem that was already in the world that we see around us. Even before the pandemic, we'd begun to see this, this especially in the West, this there's unwillingness to even talk about death. There's unwillingness to face the fact that death is a normal part of life, to almost push it away, to push it to places like that's, that's unpolite. It's, yeah, unpolite to talk about death and, in, um, in good company. Do you know what I mean? But what happens is during coronavirus, during the pandemic, the priority of staying alive, which is already moving up in the rankings all the time, moved to number one. Like the most important thing is just not to die. And we see it around us, like, we'll take this rule, you can do that, you can do this, it doesn't matter, as long as we don't die, like, that's become the most important thing. And uh, I'm not preaching today against um, the coronavirus, I don't think the coronavirus is something that warrants a place in the pulpit, except if it ever hinders us from worshiping God and gathering to worship, I think it should be, that we, we should address it. Nor am I preaching about any government's response to the pandemic. I'm, I'm glad I'm not in leadership having to carry that responsibility at this time. What I am preaching on is how we to live abundantly and without fear in a world where death is a reality. Every one of us will die. And the truth is we don't know when that will be. And um, for most of us, it'll be as we get older and older and we get closer to that time that uh, it'll come. How do we live with abundance? How do we live without fear in moments like that. And I feel like the Holy Spirit has um, brought us to the point where He wants me to preach on this because He's saying that if we allow a damaged view of death to come in, that our, our very understanding of life and death begins to impede our witness. We're no longer a church that lives fearlessly. We, we live actually like, how do I keep myself safe? It was I was actually in Red Point Church in, um, when I was there in South Africa now. We had the week there And um, every time I'd go to the bathroom, they had these signs up over the toilets, our priority is your safety. And when I preached on Sunday, I said, your church lies, or they're being disobedient to the gospel. Because the priority of the church is never the safety of its people. It's not. The priority of the church is actually to get the gospel out there, no matter what it costs the priority of the church is for this incredible Jesus to be seen no matter what it costs. The priority actually is to call us to live dangerous lives and put ourselves at risk. And the witness of the church is damaged when we begin to see our lives as the lives in this life as the most precious thing. Or to begin to see this life as all there is and to lose sight of the fact that this is just a stepping stone into what God has for us. And I, don't get me wrong, I love this life. I want to live as long as I can possibly live in here until God takes me home, and I want to live it fully. I want to walk my daughter down the aisle and hand her over to some man who's going to be the luckiest son of a gun that ever lived. I want to watch my boys get married. I want to see my children's children and my children's children's children. I don't think I'll see that, but you know what I mean. But I want to look today at how we find grace to process the deaths of loved ones. How do we process the death of our moms or our dads, or even our sons or our daughters? God forbid that should happen. And how do we, how ought we to live in light of the fact that our own death approaches? Let me start by saying what the Bible doesn't say. The Bible does not call us to live with a kind of fatalism, a blind fatalism. I came to the UAE and, uh, One of the videos that popped up early on when I was here was of the Arabs driving on two wheels. Have you ever seen that? They take their car and they flip it up like that. Now, I want to do that. I think that's amazing. I think it's an unbelievable skill, and Arabs should wear that badge with pride that they can ride cars. Seriously, I'm not even joking. I think that is amazing. But they then take it the next step. They climb out of the windows. They climb out of the doors, and they change the wheels while they're driving on two wheels. They are going to die. If their mother saw this, they would have a heart attack on the spot. i mean, like, like, what? Like seriously, what? What are you doing? And I suppose is that part of us, when we're young, we think nothing can happen to us. You know, we like, like we'll drop off a 10-story building and we'll bounce or something. I don't know what it is with young people. I know I definitely had those thoughts. But I think there's a mindset here that came to me later on. I, I remember seeing an article in a, a newspaper article about something really sad and, and, and seriously sad. It was a father that had tragically, um, um, a local man had tragically reversed over his young daughter. And he wasn't flippant about it. it was, was, they, were, they were grieved. But there was something he said that made me realize there's a different mindset that he has to the mindset that I have. He says, well, I suppose it must have been the will of God. And you see that kind of blind fatalism doesn't tie up with what Scripture says. We do believe in the sovereignty of God. We do believe that God holds all things in His hand. Except, though, the Bible calls us to operate with wisdom. The Bible calls us to operate with a sense of stewardship. We steward our children. We careful about what we do. It's just not the priority. And, uh, and it calls us to live with a radical obedience. And so, it's so. The way that we see death or the way that we process death is not through blind fatalisms. It's not the what will be will be. It doesn't matter how I live. It's not that. We, we live with wisdom. We steward our lives and our bodies well. We, we walk in obedience to God. The second thing that the Bible doesn't teach is that we can somehow cheat death or at least in our thinking push it away so we never have to talk about it. Um, I don't know if you've noticed we, we were around holiday over the summer. I was trying to choose movies on Netflix or Prime Video, and like, there were so many that were, the the kind of plot line was somebody's consciousness being uploaded so that they could live forever, like in a machine or a surrogate body or, you know, whatever it was. There's this this obsession with actually cheating death, and uh, first of all, they get it wrong. Our, Our soul isn't all we are. It's part of who we are, but God has made us Body, soul, and spirit. And that's why when we go to the resurrection, we are reunited with our body again. We are, this whole, we are not just the memories. Otherwise, people that lose their memories are not people anymore. We are all of it together. And, uh, and it's not just in movies. Scientists for, for decades now have been working hard to try and stop the aging process or reverse the aging process. And I suppose some of this are wrinkleless creams. I don't know if that actually is going to do anything to your aging other than make you look pretty until you die. Maybe. I don't know. But actually, the Guardian newspaper recently reported that that industry is worth 110 billion today. And they reckon by 2025 it'll be worth 610 billion, this thing of fighting and cheating death. But the Bible speaks a different word, an emphatically different word, when it says that it is appointed for all men to die once and then to face the judgment. We will all die, unless we're of that generation that is around when Jesus returns and we are transformed in the twinkling of an eye to meet Him, every one of us will die, and, uh, and we can't cheat death. And the fact that we will give an account, as it says in that Scripture, should be sobering to us, that we will face the judgment. For believers, not the judgment unto damnation, and we thank God for the, the sacrifice of Christ, that means we're free of that fear. But we will give an account for the lives that we live. Lastly, what uh, the Bible doesn't teach is that we should just Get over death, especially the death of a loved one. As if it was, that's just a thing, just move on from it. The death of a loved one is like, can be like a brutal assault. I have no concept of what it must be like to lose a child. I no. I don't know what it's like to lose a brother or a sister that you're really close to. Um, and so, But, but and nothing I say today is meant to diminish the reality of the feelings and the grief that you encountered if you've had to endure that. And as I've said already, I think it's the actually the, the the shortening of that process that actually does damage to the way that we understand life and death. It's like there's a healing work of the spirit in mourning that the, the sadness and the pain actually brings us to the place where we can we can actually live healed. I was listening to a grief counselor this week, and the counselor was saying you actually never get over the grief. Somebody asked him, How long does the grief last? And he said, and not, he didn't intend to be flippant in saying this, but how long will the person be gone for? And the answer is forever. Well, then forever, on this life anyway, you'll have that grief. He says, but you can live healed. And you see, that God doesn't want us to live in a way that where the sorrow and the grief leaves us completely broken and hopeless. Because Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says, don't mourn the way the world mourns without any hope. There's something different about the way that we see death and the way that we see the death even of our loved ones. And so the Spirit and the Word comes to empower us into a mourning and a grief that is God-honoring, life-giving actually, and, and gospel-centered. And so we can live these healed lives. And so when we, when we come to these moments of a family member dying, God wants to give us a different perspective. And I know that word seems so inadequate or inappropriate even to say when we're talking about the death of a loved one. Like, I don't need perspective, but nothing happens in a vacuum, friends. See, everything's got a context, and the, the moment that we have to work that thing through is the context of time, this past. And we think about those that, that, we, that we love that have passed away. We think about the memories we have had with them. There's, those things live on. There's a the present as we process the grief and the loss, and it's real obviously it's not, this is not, it's real, it's, it's you can't even anticipate what it will be before you get there, it's real, but then there's a future as well, there's the promises of God, of what He still leads us into, and um, it's the context, not just of time, but of the seen and the unseen, of the temporal and the eternal. I wonder how many of you, if you were honest, would say, Rob, I don't even want to think about it, like the thought of that grief, would be overwhelming for me just to even, I don't, um, some people don't, don't want to talk about death at all, like if I, maybe some of you even cross with me for talking about it today, you're kind of like, like don't talk about death, you know, you spit out, like, like don't bring that rubbish into my world, into my home, some people think that if you talk about death a lot that you're going to end up dying, I'm convinced that my time is in God's hands, and, I, and, and actually there is something profoundly important for us to talk about, and not just the potential that someone we love will go. I want my children to process that with me. I want them to know that when I do go one day, and I hope it's many years from now, that they're not to feel one bit sorry for me. Not one bit. That God, where God has taken me is where I've always wanted to go. And, um, and I, like I've already said, that God, you're hearing me? I want to be here for a long time. So, But I don't want to live in fear that, hey, if I go, um, how will everything carry on without me. It will. Some of us are terrified by the prospect of our own death. We just keep pushing that further and further away. And, and you might say, well, Rob, who cares? Why? It doesn't matter if we push it away. We've got no control of when it happens. But the problem is that we, until we come to the place where we understand, we, we live in a, in a cage of our own frailty. There was a movie once called A Million Ways to Die in the West. But well, I'm saying there's a million ways to die in the west and the east and the south and the north. It is like, it is, there, we are so fragile. Our life light is fragile. And in a moment, it can be taken from us. And what happens is the book of Hebrews says, we end up, our fear of death keeps us in a lifelong slavery. That's the word it uses, lifelong slavery. And as we get older, we get closer to that thing, the potential is that we become increasingly fearful about what's before us. Now, some of you, most of you are so young You haven't even contemplated this reality, but some of you are so stubborn that you haven't contemplated the reality of your own mortality as well. Like you go to people and you say, have you asked yourself what happens to you at the end of your life? They go, no. I remember the one time I'd heard this evangelism technique that you go to somebody and you say, what would happen to you if you died right now? And so I was out playing golf the one day and I had a caddy that was carrying my bag and I said to the caddy, I turned out, I better hit my shot. I sat like this on the t box, and I turned to the cat, and I said, what happens if you die right now? And he turned around like this. <laughs> he, he thought he was, I was warning about a, a shot coming at his head. And we don't even want to answer the question because we think, well, that's for another time, but actually it's for this time. And I think one of the gifts of growing older is it strips away any sense of our mortality. We're reminded, actually, that we will not live forever. I will not see my children's children's children, as much as I would love to see that. I will not see that. And we don't live forever. Over the years, Linda and I have watched our parents get older while we've been living in Dubai. You know when you're away from somebody and you come back only like every year or every second year, you see things that perhaps you wouldn't see if you were with them all the time. And I remember flying in a number of years ago and my mom and dad came to the airport to pick me up. And as we were driving to their house I was staying at their house that evening, I I remember thinking, yeah, my dad is not just old, he's frail now. And that was like eight years ago. Since then, he has, be, he's been diagnosed as diabetic. He's, he's got all sorts of things. He's, he's been suffering from dementia for the last two years. It's, they, they say it's, it's not for the, for the weak to get old. It's a tough gig. My mom's 78. My dad, because of his dementia, can't stay with her. He has to stay in a home where there's nursing care. My mom feels the loneliness of him not being present. She feels her own age. She has to do everything herself. She doesn't have the... the, the she wasn't she as sharp as she felt she was when she was a young woman. Things, it gets harder along the way. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 speaks metaphorically about this process of growing older and actually calls these days evil days. I, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you've got to read it from the perspective that Solomon's writing with this overarching purpose that we recognize that God is the most important thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, and living for Him is the most important thing. So everything else... If it's taken without God, it's completely futile. And so when he calls getting evil, the old evil days, he means that they're on the days of our youth, which are amazing when you can, you know, you can you can bounce off, you know, you fall off the first story building. I used to, We used to play games in our back garden. We used to jump off the roof of a house. And like, you know what I mean? And you bounce. It's amazing. It doesn't happen now. If I jumped off now, my knees would end up in my ears. He says this, Remember also the Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil day, days come, and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and your grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, and the sound of the grounding is low, and one rouses up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God. There's a picture here of us growing older and coming to the point where water, which is a picture of life, when it speaks about the bowl or the pitcher or the cistern the breaking and the water being poured out, is that point where our life comes to an end. But the key to, to, to how Paul was able to process the death that was all around him and even the threat of death on his own life, to, twice, and there were many more occasions, and he would eventually die as a martyr for his faith. How did he process that um, is seen in verse 7. And it's a key for us as well when it says this, and the Spirit returns to the God who gave it. That scripture I quoted from Hebrews about us being subject to lifelong slavery because of the fear of death comes from Hebrews two fourteen and 15. And says this, and it's actually, it's a, it's a liberating scripture. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that you and I, Jesus likewise partook of the same things, he became a man, that through death, his sacrificial death on the cross, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, what the text is saying is we no longer have to live in, sla- in fear of death because Christ has defeated it; He has conquered death upon the cross. When Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, there was a radical turning point for him. See, Paul knew that Jesus was real. He knew that there was a man called Jesus. He knew he'd been executed on the cross because the people that he worked for were the guys that had arranged it. He knew that he'd been stabbed in his side and that blood, or, blood and water flowed out the side, evidencing the, the, um, that he was dead. He knew he'd been put in a tomb. He'd heard the rumors that the, that the disciples were falsely spreading in his view that Jesus had been raised from the dead. But then he met the risen Jesus on the road. This Jesus that was dead is alive, and Paul understood it was, a, it was this cataclysmic encounter, and it should be cataclysmic for us as well. It's a fork in the road of like, like, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna accept the fact that death no longer has dominion over us, and therefore we, we see this life completely differently? That passage of Scripture I have a passage of scripture. The quote that I read to you earlier from George Ladd that finished with Death Reigns continues, thank goodness, and says it like this Apart from the gospel of the kingdom, death is the mighty conqueror. Apart from the gospel of the kingdom, death is a mighty conqueror before whom we are all helpless. We can only beat our fists in utter futility against this, uh, this unyielding and unresponding tomb. But the good news is this. Death has been defeated. Our conqueror has been conquered. In the face of the power of the kingdom of God in Christ, death was helpless. It could not hold him. Death has been defeated. Life and immortality have been brought to life. An empty tomb in Jerusalem is proof of it. This is the gospel of the kingdom. And so, friends, we don't live under the shadow of death or the fear of death holding us in slavery. Um, When I was in India a number of years ago, there was this um, snake charmer there, and he convinced me to put a cobra around my neck and have a photograph taken, and I'll share that with you at some point. But there I'm standing with this cobra, holding his head quite tight, I have to say. I don't want him to turn around and say, hello, Rob, like this. But the only reason that I would ever do that is because he had told me, and I really pray this was true, that the venom had been taken out of the cobra. So I could put him around my neck. The thing that normally... Matt would run away from screaming in terror. I was able to put comfortably around my neck because it had no sting. In 1 Corinthians 15, 55, Paul says this, "O oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting has been taken out by Christ. So we don't have to live in fear of death. We see death in a completely different way. The death of our loved ones, friends, and our death. We don't cling to life desperate, like, like if this goes, I've got nothing. If even our loved ones, you see, even our loved ones are not everything. They're not, they're unbelievably precious to us, but Jesus is more precious. And we know because of his promise that if they belong to him, we'll see them again. What does that mean for us today? Two points in our land. Gee, death is not the end. Romans 6 verse 8 says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. Paul saw Christ alive on that road. He spoke to him, and so he understood that if I have come to Christ, if I die with Christ, I will also live with him. So throughout the New Testament, death is referred to as falling asleep, or Paul does, at least on a number of occasions. What happens when you fall asleep? You wake up again. And where do we wake up? We wake up in the glorious, eternal presence of God. And so death becomes not something to be feared, but something of a necessary doorway that takes us into the presence of God. And our discipleship guide, we've divided this into three sections. Our salvation past, which is the finished work of Christ, that when we came to Him, we received a new identity as sons and daughters. Our salvation present, when we're working out our salvation, becoming more like Christ each day, dealing with the sin and putting to death the flesh. And then salvation future. There's a part of our salvation we don't get to experience in this life. And, Death actually opens a door to us getting there. The, the, it's the doorway for us to experience the rest that God invites us to enter into, to get to the place where we no longer battle with flesh and everything, uh, with the flesh and everything that causes sin is done away with. When we're in the, the unhindered presence of God, no veils, no looking through a glass dimly, and we have received our resurrected body. Death is not the end. Actually, for us, friends, it is the step. The Bible actually speaks about it as the hope, our great hope, is what is to come. And so instead, and this is why I say, when one day I do pass from this earth, and I hope it is many days from now, but whenever it is, don't feel sorry for me that I am in the place more full of life than I've ever been. Lastly, death around us is is a great reminder. In Psalm 39 and verse 4, Paul says, Paul says David says, "O oh Lord, make me know my end. Make me know my end, that my life doesn't go on forever in this life. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. We are not in control of the number of our days. We are not, we are not immortal. We are not bulletproof. We are not Wolverine. We cannot take a whatever stabbed and shot and <sharp deepest> kind of all grows back together again we are, we are fragile and sometimes it causes us to be like um to be kind of tight-handed about our lives instead of open-handed what do you want to use my time for God what do you want to do with my life Psalm 139 verse 17 says all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be See, I'm persuaded of this, whether my life is long or my life is short. If I'm walking in obedience to God, I will not live one day longer nor one day less than the life that God has ordained for me. If I walk with those three things I spoke about earlier, wisdom, stewardship, and obedience, I'll see the fullness of those days. And if my life were to be 40 years, and that mark has passed, (laughs) but I can remember thinking when I turned 40, well, this life has been more amazing than I could ever imagine. I've already seen and experienced more than I could have imagined. I, I didn't know marriage could be like this. I didn't know what it me- would mean to love children the way that I've loved them, to see the things that I've seen. And on and on it goes, but it will, it will multiply manyfold one day in eternity. I'm going to finish with this. I was praying, obviously, um, last year for Linda's mom when we found out that she was diagnosed with cancer. And Obviously, we want to fight whenever anybody's sick. This doesn't mean like, oh, hallelujah, you're sick. We're just great. The doorway's there. We, we contend. We fight for people. Noel's going to preach in a couple of weeks about Dorcas who died being actually raised from the dead again. I do want to say, though, that sometimes in our faith and in our tenacity to fight for those that are sick, we miss the opportunity to say goodbye as well. We miss the, the time that God actually gives us to, to actually Minister God's grace to them and allow God's grace to be ministered through them to us, also. And I was praying for Flo, and I really was praying for her to be healed. But I was facing up to the reality as time went on that it was likely that she would pass from this life into the next. And I started listening to um, songs by a lady by the name of Stephanie Gritzinger, I think her name is. She is a. She's got haunting songs. The way that she sings, they they um they ministered to my soul. And I was listening, I started listening to one, and I actually sent it to Flo the one evening, and maybe a month before she passed away. I said, Flo, I really feel like this song is for you. I feel like God wants to speak to you about what you are going to be going into. And I, I want to read the lyrics of this, and then we're going to just sit for a few minutes while the song plays over us. And I want you to think about, what a strange thing for me to ask you to think about it. I want you to think about your life and your death. I want you to think about the number of your days and how they are in the hands of God and what matters therefore if your days are in the hands of God. She says this in her song. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. His faithful hand has held me all this way. And when I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth, let it be known in you alone my joy was found. Oh, my joy, my joy. Let my children tell the children, let this be their memory, that all my treasure was in heaven and you were everything to me. You see, the thing that comes when we face the reality of our mortality is that we understand that what survives is Him, that He's the faithful one whose faithful hand will carry us to that day. And that our testimony needs to be that my treasure was in heaven, not here. I didn't bank everything here. I didn't live for everything here. I lived for the life that was still to come. I believe Flo lived that way. I believe her treasure was in heaven. I believe in the end, she stepped across that threshold. And I'm sure... It's true of the loved ones that you have lost over this time with great joy to meet her Lord and Savior. Won't you play that for us, please?
1: If my heart could tell a story If my life would sing a song If I have a testimony If I have anything at all His faithful hand has held me all this way. Let my children tell their children, let this be their memory, that all my treasure was in heaven, and you were everything to me. faithful hand has held me all this way and when i'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth let it be known in you alone my joy was found i found my joy
0: Lord, I want to pray this morning that you would be so present with us by your Holy Spirit. I want to pray first, Father, that you would minister to those who have walked through this grief of losing loved ones. Not just in the last 18 months, Lord God, but we know that um, how that grief lingers. and And I pray, Lord God, for those that have even lost loved ones years ago, Lord God, that are needing your healing touch today that you would come by your Holy Spirit and comfort them and strengthen them and fill them with a sense of your hope and the wonder of the gospel, Lord God. Thank you for your healing, restoring power, Lord. Father, I also want to pray for all of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, that as we hear your word spoken out this morning that our hearts would respond. Where we have shrunk, Lord God, where we have begun to value our life above all else, our safety above all else, or the safety of those that we love above all else, Father, we would open our hands again. That we would say, Lord God, that we are already dead and we have been raised to resurrection life. And that what we face when we go from this life to the next is not death the way that we understood it before, but just a passing on from one life to real life, Lord God. I pray that you begin to shift our, our understanding and our hearts, whether we're young or whether we're old, Lord God. We stop seeing this life as what matters and the next life is something to be thought about later. But we live in the reality that the life to come is invading this life, this time frame now, Lord God. And we live for what you've called us to, that we live radically and fearlessly and for you, recognizing that our lives belong to you. And lastly, Lord God, I want to pray for those that don't know your son as their joy. They don't have Jesus as their everything. that live under that, that that shadow that death casts because they don't know when they pass from this life to the next, what they will encounter. There's no promise of future life, only the promise of a future judgment. And friend, if you're in that position, my prayer this morning is that you would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. It's been shared so many times already this morning that it is not a ritual, it's not a um, Um, a denomination or a a religion coming to Christ is a surrender of our will. It says in Romans that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And my prayer this morning is that you will call upon the name of the Lord and you'll say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. I believe that you died and were raised from the dead and live forever and are seated on your throne. I believe that in your death, you bore my sin and the punishment my sin deserved so that I could be forgiven. And so I call out to you as the only one who can save me and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. And friend, if you've prayed that prayer this morning, as I've declared that, or if you want to pray that prayer, why don't you come and speak to me after the meeting? It would be my greatest privilege to talk that through with you and to pray with you about that for the rest of us. I pray that something of the weightiness of the spirit in this moment would be upon your life, not to bring us down, the facing of the fact that we've died with Christ and are raised again is a liberating reality, and I pray that you would walk in the fullness of that liberty in the days, weeks, months and years ahead in Jesus mighty name. I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.